This year is speeding along. We're already on episode three of the second season of the Media Will Eat Itself podcast and the 10th show overall. We're talking about careers, content creation, social media, and all the many things that make media tick. As usual, we'll be talking to professionals from all walks of life, quizzing them about their journey through working life and how modern media and technology has affected them for better or for worse. It's a media show about media people, and I'm your host, Sean Weston. Today, I'm talking to Sean Holt, founder and managing director of Fudge Kitchen. Yep, you know the one, with the marble slabs dripping with delicious fudge and friendly people offering you free samples at the door. I met Sean a few years ago when I was editor-in-chief of a food industry website. So this episode is about discovering what her journey has been like in the intervening years in terms of company success and the changing role of media relations. What exactly is it like to run a successful confectionery business and what part does media and marketing play in its success? I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Sean. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Hi. Hi. Very lovely to be here. Thank you. I love the description on on the Fudge Kitchen Twitter page, and I think it says devilishly different, albeit slightly eccentric producers of delectable fudge. It's quite a mouthful, actually. It is a bit, yes. um, (laughs) uh, We always love alliteration, actually, even if we're doing demonstrations to customers. Um, So so what makes the company eccentric, though? Uh, The people, really. The people in it. we there are there are two sort of key elements to what we do. One is to have an, an amazing product, um, but the other um, is that we have incredibly crazy people. Um, yeah. They're people who love talking to other people. They're people who, uh, for whom having a really good product is something that they take great pride in making. Yeah. Um, because in our shops. Um, Obviously, everybody is involved in the production process because um, it's, you know, see it made, it's retail theatre. So they're all um, engaged in how the product is made, what goes in it. Um, And, you know, it's a great business. It's a fun business to be in because you're giving um, indulgence and treats and loveliness to people um, every day. You know? Absolutely, yeah. And I think you're fresh from, from having been added, I noticed, to the Royal Windsor Monopoly Board, and that's quite an achievement. <laughs> that's great, isn't it? Well, yeah. We've had an amazing year um, at the, in, in the Windsor shop, obviously, because, um, well, today is the second Royal Wedding of the Year, of course. Of course. Um, and, um, but with the first Royal Wedding, we, were, we produced uh, an elderflower and lemon to match the wedding cake. Um, and we had so many requests from around the world, particularly the States, as you can imagine, um, <laughs> where we were shipping large quantities of lemon and elderflower fudge um, to all those uh, those people. And the Windsor shop has had a great year on the back of it, actually. It's been yeah. really good. Well, well before we, we talk too much about, about the, the way you operate in 2018, let's provide a little background to the company. What Can you tell me about how it got started? Oh, well, there's a story. Um, where do you start? Where, basically, I met um, my, my parents have, um, are serial entrepreneurs, really. And um, uh, their main business that they um, ran uh, really from um, about, started about 40 years ago was uh, Battlefield Tours. And they 
used to go around the world telling people um, about battles uh, from the battlefields themselves, um, one of which was the American Civil War in Gettysburg. And whilst there, at one point, they met a chap called Jim who made fudge. Uh, the years passed and I had a call when I was at university from my mother saying, I'm sorry to ask you this, especially as you have to get up early as a student, but could you possibly pick up this yank from the air? <laughs> he's come over on his honeymoon and um, he's going to stay with us for a couple of days. Well, could you pick him up? I was at uni in London um, and bring him down to Kent. And his name was Jim Garrahy, and he made fudge. And in the journey, um, I said, well, we don't have fudge like that. And he said, well, there you go. So he sent a container containing a fudge shop. Yeah. Um, and we, we set about setting up a shop in the UK. Coincidentally, he'd also met a guy called Jeffrey Thompson, who used to own Blackpool Pleasure Beach. He oh. passed on, still in the um, Thompson family, I think. But um, he met him in a bar um, in the States at some uh, theme park conference. And um, I think after a bottle of whiskey at four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> agreed that he would put a bud shop in his theme park. So that first container um, was set up in a shop in Blackpool. Um, I pretty quickly realized that this was not where we needed to be. So cut a long story short, um, I bought the business from Jim yeah. um, and set about tweaking it and changing it for the UK. Um, okay. So um, so, that's so all those entrepreneurial ingredients sort of came together and, and, and you took it on. Yeah, essentially. And this year has been really exciting because we have celebrated our 35th birthday. That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 So, so where, would you, where would you say fudge is in, in sort of the global confectionery handbook then? Is it in terms of perhaps trade? Is, is it a serious contender in its own right or is it kind of lumped together with chocolate and so on? Um, I think the world of fudge has changed, actually. Um, I think it used to be the poor man's confectionery. It used to be either something, probably a delicious recipe, but made by your granny at home. Um, and you might find little bags um, of brown squares in a farm shop, in a basket, which mm. was probably a granny-style recipe, very much homemade. Um, or it was boxes of um, what I would call boingy fudge, you know, where you press it down and then it sort of pings mm. back up Kinda again. Kind of comes back again, yeah. Yeah, it's not, not good. Um, which you could get in a, uh, seaside towns that said, thanks for having the cats whilst I've been away. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, our mission really was to change all of that and show that fudge could be um, as amazing a, a, a confectionery as chocolate. And um, I think the changes with consumers um, need to understand what goes, not just what goes in their products, but what the stories are behind the products and why um, has really helped us bring mm. um bring our story if you like um so that fudge now um is a, very a platform strong, of its own yeah yeah, yeah. A very strong platform um yeah and if you well, go into any of the main retailers um who set the sort of foodie type trends you'll find that fudge 
um, has some serious shelf space. Yes, I, which I've noticed very much so, yeah. And as, as well as being MD of Fudge Kitchen, you're also an ambassador of the Institute of Directors, is that right? Yes, for Kent, yes. Yeah, what does that involve? A foodie um, um, uh, mantle, really. But, um, well, I'd been a member of the IOD for, I don't know, a very, very long time, um, encouraged from an early age to join by my father, actually. And um, I, I'd say probably for the first 10 or 15 years, I didn't really know why I'm I was a member, <laughs> uh, only because Daddy <laughs> told me that I should be, really. <laughs> um, but actually, it is a very useful um, organisation, not just in terms of um, some of the background stuff that uh, running a business you sadly have to do these days um, in terms of compliance or legal or HR, um, but also... Uh, one of the hardest things in business is that when you're a, an SME, it's quite lonely. Um, you know, just talking uh, things about, you know, whether it's difficult to hire staff, whether uh, what, what we all do, perhaps from a foodie context, because of the fluctuating exchange rate affects raw uh, ingredients, um, all, all those kind of things um, are very useful to just have a chat with somebody else who's going through the same thing. Um, and I think for me, that's one of the great strengths of it, really. So it's kind of a, a, a trade community, if you will, of, of people who are yeah. running businesses. Yeah. yeah. Sort of sharing knowledge and experience. Yeah. Exactly yeah. that. Yeah. It sounds perfect, actually, because when I was setting up my own business, I was thinking, well, you know, HMRC are reaching out and saying there's a, there's a webinar for this and that. But it didn't feel you know, sort of connected. I felt like I might just be watching a video online whereas i kind of wanted to meet people and understand yeah. how they set their business up exactly that and um well it's interesting you know because your whole topic is really the digital age and and its role in business but um it, it brings you round to the fact that actually at the end of the day whatever it happens to be we really would like physical touch points because um, we don't mind getting some background in, in other ways, but we do like to actually see with our own eyes and touch with our own hands, don't we? Yes, shake shake hands and, and thank people in person. Indeed, yeah, very much so. So let's get let's get to that point then. Let's let's start. So we've got a bit of background about the company now. Can you paint a picture of what marketing looked like when you started out in business? <laughs> um. Well, funnily enough, I, I did a business studies degree, so you'd have thought I, I would have been a little bit more marketing savvy. Um, but actually, weirdly enough, um, when I first started, it was far more about, you know, what's the price of cream? And, um, you know, I need to get some staff to open the shop tomorrow. Um, and marketing was right at the bottom of the pile. And um, um, we relied um, exclusively on people passing our door. Um, uh, we didn't even really um, consider design in, in any great shape or form. Okay, you mean uh, branding? Yes, because yeah. the branding was was predominantly the people. Um, right. Funnily enough, um, all of our packaging in our stores is as a post sell. You know, you've, you, the product is loose, so. Um, the branding is the raw product and the guys who sell it and make it. Um, it wasn't till really relatively recently, you know, in the last sort of 15, um, 
15, 16 years that we've taken branding um, far more seriously. I was going to say you kind of started out then with, with that personality and character of the business. Yes, that's always this, been yeah. there. Yeah, okay. that's always been there. And um, that was the power of the marketing. It. Well, yeah. I, I, guess, I guess so. Um, communicating that um, outside of the context of the shop um, only really became relevant when we launched the wholesale side of the business. Um, you know, up to that point, um, our, we were marketing ourselves on a daily basis, if you see what I mean, yeah, um, yeah. just by doing what we did, which was so different, you know, um, encouraging people to uh, to come in and engage with us, which, you know, 35 years ago was completely unheard of. I mean, today... Um, every retailer is taking on huge consultants to um, ask them to tell them how they can <laughs> how yeah. c- they can increase engagement. This new word, engagement, yeah. um, it, it's rubbish, really. What it means is you have to talk to your customers. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never been one for marketing speak, really, and that is definitely um, rubbish. But anyway, oh, there are so many. There are uh, so there many are. out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, but obviously branding became more important when we needed to be able to communicate um, those attributes of um, product um, excellence and a bit of fun and quirkiness um, about the the people who make it um, onto a pack that sits on somebody else's shelf. That that was a different matter. So, um, well, well, I love the drama of watching fudge being prepared in your shops, and I yeah. suspect that's a big part of your marketing strategy. It's, it's a yeah. unique selling point, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's uh, in terms of the core of what we do in a shop on a day-to-day basis. It has really not changed a great deal. Flavors have changed, and what we put in the fudge has changed, which is um, quite interesting. Um, the best-selling flavour today is not the best-selling flavour of 35 years ago. Um, and um, uh, the well, way I'm that curious we t- now. What, what, what was the best-selling flavour of 35 years it, ago? Can you remember? Yeah, it was um, equal between traditional toffee um, yeah. and vanilla. Um, of course. And then there was a phase um, sort of in the middle when... Um, uh, chocolate began to emerge as something really rather special and you know um, because obviously you know, I remember in my youth um, that black magic was about as posh as it got really uh, <laughs> my mum's favourite yeah exactly yeah. I mean you know that that if you wanted to give a, a, a box of posh chocolates you, you gave a box of black magic mm. um, so when chocolate bega- began to become um, uh well, people start, were beginning to get a bit more discerning, I suppose. Um, we launched a flavour called Belgian Chocolate Swirl, and then I'd say that in the, the 90s, that probably was the best-selling flavour, or at least up there with the traditional toffee. And then, um, really, for the last 10 years, um, increasingly, um, uh, sea salted caramel is just... Oh, I bet it is. Yeah, yeah you just can't... Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, I've read a a lot of interviews with you over the years, and the story of Fudge Kitchen is a really fascinating one in terms of your flavour experimentation and and also extending the reach of your business because you you do supply uh, other people, don't you? You supply other retailers. You do, yeah. As far as traditional marketing goes, 
Mm. You you obviously have experience and great aptitude for it, but how have you had to thread modern marketing practices into the business over the last few years? You know, things like YouTube channels, social media engagement, blogging, and so on. Well, um, we thankfully, again, very store related rather than um, naturally the wholesale side of the business, although we do. Um, we do promote that um, digitally as well. But the, the shops are just natural uh, contenders. And um, conversations around what was happening in FUD shops um, didn't even start with us, to be honest. It started from our customers um, uh, taking video when they'd been in the shop watching fudge making, um, engaging with the, the people who made it. Um, and then increasingly, you know, we do things like fudge making experiences. So there are so many visual um, opportunities um, that uh, probably Instagram is the strongest for us um, yeah. because of that. Um, I mean, we have built up um, a, a good Facebook community, but recently, uh, and we did used to have a Facebook um for each of the individual stores as well as the main one and we've recently brought all of those together um because you know um social media has changed hugely hasn't it i mean i'm probably uh not the uh the the uh the best at this anymore you need a millennial to be looking at this really don't you Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I've got a grey beard myself. Hopefully, I know a little bit about it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got a grey beard, but I, I, de- I definitely don't know um, as much as as the younger generation do. It's, you know, I, I still see it as something that I do, whereas for them, it is just a natural part of daily yeah. life, isn't it? Yeah, and, um, and Instagram, like you say, is practically tailor made for a business like yours, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. So have you had to hire specialists then to manage well, the social Well, obviously we started of kind of doing it in-house um, and um, now we have a lovely person called Molly um, who is brilliant at it. Um, and she, you know, she engages with the, the shop guys. So as far as Instagram is concerned, because it is so media and it, and it is relevant um on a local level too um we do we have a main instagram page but we also do have individual pages for the shops because um instagram is also great at um communicating personality and um every shop um, does have a slightly different feel about it um Hmm. because the people are different you know um so you need to tap into that individual character Yeah, so we yeah. They, they do their own thing um, locally, but then they also communicate and feed in regularly to Molly. Um, and, of course, she gets out and about there with the guys. Um, um, and, um, I mean, things like the recent charity. Um, we, we have an annual charity every year, and uh, currently it's the Ogwin Valley Mountain Rescue in Wales. might seem a little random, really, but um, Ian, the manager of our bath shop's brother, uh, nearly came a cropper on the mountain and was saved oh, by these guys. So we yeah. chose them, and and one of the big fundraising things we did in a crazily, quite silly way, really, um, in retrospect, was that we had a a race. Um, so the manager of the Bath um, and the Oxford shop um, walked from Bath, uh, sorry, from Oxford to Windsor. And okay. the manager of the Windsor and the assistant manager of the bath shop went in a canoe 
um, to see, see who would get there first. Um, they were very badly prepared. Um, they killed them, actually, but it oh, was God. hysterical. It made great Instagram stories, you know, I that, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So Being it's changed attention. hugely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we used to do... Um, um, a lot of mail shots, you know, in the beginning of time. Um, I can't even remember the last time we, we did a mail shot. Um, um, we, we had a huge database and it would cost a fortune. And, um, you know, we used to say, oh, well, if, if we get 1% return on this, it would be um, quite incredible. Um, and, you know, I just remember even with the kids, um, my kids when they were young, um, folding things and putting them in envelopes over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, know, and people are still doing gone. that, Sean. People are still doing that. People do still do that. They and still do that. See, yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because yeah. there are instances where that has come back. Um, it, weirdly, I think mm. if it can be incredibly personalised, it actually might get more noticed uh, than yeah. an email now. Uh, well, you might get a 3%. Uh, come on. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. We've just done one, actually. Interestingly, we have just done a mail shot. Um, there's me, you know, laughing at them, but we, um, which is the first one we've done for a very long time, where we've done a, uh, an invitation. We're at the Independent Hotel Show uh, next Tuesday and Wednesday, and we've done an invitation to some key um, hoteliers to come and find us on the stand by sending a, a mail shop with a piece of fudge in it. Um, oh, nice, nice. And it was know, very targeted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but no, it's changed a lot. And Twitter is run by our PR lady. Um, yeah, because that's more, uh, we've tended to use that more for B2B um, Twitter. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting because I've, I've spoken to people who say that it, it has gone that way. Where it, it does feel a little more businessy now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let's let's change uh, tack a little bit. Uh, we're, we're coming to the end of the show almost, and I'd like to uh, find out about your skills as a public speaker because I know that you you do public speaking as well. And I, I uh, one of my early episodes was with uh, a chap called the Presenter, you know, and and he he works with uh, people in helping them present, make better presentations. So I'd like to know, when did you first start doing public speaking and are you actually a natural? Oh gosh, um, I have no idea whether I'm a natural. I think I've just done quite a lot of speaking. And I think that started from an early age really, because um, uh, when my parents were doing their battlefield tours, um, I was always roped in um, you know, uh, as a sixth former and then through university. Um, to go and help um, and so I would have to do um, presentations at the top front of the coach you know about we're just about to get to the this battlefield or, or that battlefield um, so um, I think you just got used to it early I think yeah. I, yes I think you know that the sort of um, uh, it gives you more confidence if you if you're able to start quite early I think and you you just um, are used to speaking to people. I mean, obviously, being I'm not a, by definition a very organised person. <laughs> you can ask anybody; they will tell you that. But um, when you're giving a talk, that's about the only thing that you really do have to be slightly organised with. Otherwise, you find that you have completely run out of time. Um, so, what skills do you think a modern entrepreneur has to have in 2018 compared to, say, the 1980s and 1990s? 
That is a very good question. Um, I always think, I've always thought that actually you've just got to have a passion about something, really. And I don't think that changes. Um, you've got to have that sort of level of passion that whatever anybody tells you, you know, for why you can't do something, you're going to ignore. Um, so you have to be quite pig-headed. At one level, you need to be able to listen <laughs> But actually, at another level, you need to be able to ignore because sometimes there's so much noise, um, especially these days that, you know, that these days that there are there are so many more laws, rules, forms, bureaucracy um, yeah. that, that you could quite easily not start. Um, you know, you'd be so busy filling something in or. Um, that you it seems like a mountain of yeah. administration. It's very intimidating, isn't it? It is. So my yeah. advice mostly when you're really at the beginning is to absolutely ignore all of that until it comes and tells you that you haven't been doing it. <laughs> <laughs> good advice. Uh, really good advice. Otherwise, yeah. you'd never start. You'd never start. And that, yeah. So I think passion and belief, obviously, are the two key things. And I don't think that ever changes. And then when you get to the point where you're surrounding yourself with, you know, customers and suppliers and then maybe other people who are beginning to work with you, they've all got to have that same passion and belief in the product that you're, that you're working with. You know, your customers have got to believe and understand why you're so passionate and be as passionate. Um, so um, as, as have your suppliers. Um, and I think, um, you know, um, the world is changing faster and faster isn't it and so are consumers and what and what is important to them and um increasingly um there is your customers are virtually people you're working with you know they mm. in, in days gone by the customers one side of the room and uh, the producer or the the retailer was on the other side of the room and it, it's not they're all intermixed now it's all intermixed yeah. everything is so instant and so interactive um, and reactive and i think um we've seen this you know i mean i i'm not a huge one for um, um giving names to generations but um the the whole sea change is is lapping at the shore isn't it you know i mean yes. we're already with millennials there is such a different approach um not just to communication but to brand values um and i think with um, with the next the guys following on um i think everybody seems to be calling them gen z which i find very gen z is it yeah yes, yep. very, very irritating um <laughs> because obviously i hate all of that stuff but but you know it's they're even more concerned about um provenance and story and um you know being uh, being an entrepreneur or a uh, a capitalist won't buy it at all you know no being authentic you've uh, got to be authentic is, yeah it, it, yeah and i think in from a foodie point of view um they definitely want luxury they definitely want indulgence but there's a rawness you know it's got to be um it's not bling um hmm um, yeah, that's a really good point. Really good point. Thank you so much. Yeah. Believe it or not, half an hour has, has gone already. So, so can you tell us how we contact you? Um, well, in all those ways these days, um, as my husband will always say, um, sadly, there's always a way to get hold of anybody <laughs> these days. Um, yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn um, 
which we've been using more and more this year, actually, as a way of communication. I, I used to say I hated it, but actually it seems to have come into its own. Uh, I think so, yeah. In, in a grown-up way and, and actually a refreshing way. And and maybe in, in many ways it's replaced Facebook. Um, it's like serious it has a more serious side um yeah, I, I do definitely yeah. feel that facebook is becoming less um relevant i think people are dropping off it yeah. in in, in yeah. droves I, I i hope uh, you know i'm sure someone will say no you're completely wrong but i think they are yeah, yeah. and we can also find you find uh, fudge kitchen oh you can find on instagram you can find yeah. it with um certificates of excellence in on TripAdvisor for every shop um that we have um, fantastic and all the reviews from from customers you can find us on instagram on twitter um you can um find us on our website which is and my own review my fudgekitchen.co.uk and my own review is for the bath store which is my local ah. so i can attest to the great quality really yeah. good <laughs> thank you so much yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks sean that was sean holt you can find Fudge Kitchen at fudgekitchen.co.uk and Sean is on LinkedIn too. If you enjoyed our chat, please leave a rating on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. And thanks again for the messages of support for the show. Keep them coming. And take a look at my own website at seanweston.co.uk for more information about me. Until we meet again, bye for now and enjoy that fudge. Fudge.